end. Thanks to Cry Malt. This is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News. And as ever, I'm joined by my good friend, colleague and all-round good beer guy, Pete Mitchum. Pete, welcome back. It's been a long time since I've got to uh, say that little spiel. It was, and it, it sounded like it was just cut and pasted from a previous episode, Matt. It was so seamlessly dulcet and uh, succinct. Although I think, if I remember correctly, Cryer Malt. Is that local malt for local beer? That is local malt for local beer. Yes. Sorry, I did forget about that. I didn't. No, I know, that's, but that's why you're a pro. Always here to catch you, Matt. Well, mate, thank you for uh, carrying the show, you and James, while I was away, and uh, particularly for um, your thoughtful words in my direction, uh, even when I was back last week. All right. So you got those Easter eggs, did you? <laughs> Actually, I, I, I left some Easter eggs in the uh, file that I sent to Freya, and she didn't include them, so she's obviously on your side as well. There you go. <laughs> good. She's, she's a good girl, that one. <laughs> hey, um, rather than uh, sort of just chat about too much it's a it's actually a very big week in news and things we want to talk about so we might uh, get cracking first of all uh, now we're recording this on tuesday the 4th of july and it's independence day um so named by the independent brewers association who have announced their big report into the financial contribution of australian independent breweries yeah it's the big change over day so what the artist formerly known as the cbia or the craft beer industry association is now the independent brewers association is that the real Independent Brewers Association? Ah, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know, Matt. <laughs> I think, look, is everyone is everyone within the flaps of the tent now? Uh, I, I, well, I, I think pretty much anyone who was wavering is in the tent now. Um, I don't know about the key. I think, uh, yeah, anyway, um, without singling anybody out, um, I don't know that the founders of Arkbar are necessarily on board, but um, it does matter because uh, the Independent Beer Association has launched a very significant report into the financial contribution made by Australian brewers. And uh, the story went live on Tuesday. Of course, this will land in your podcast on Friday. But I encourage everyone to go back and have a listen to it and particularly have a look at the report. Um, we finally have some figures that we can talk to around the size of the craft beer market. Yeah, and uh, look, I must... Independent beer market, sorry, uh, Prof. That's right. But I think, too, that um, the, probably the most interesting thing straight off the bat that I noticed was whilst the number of contributors to the, the data pool had improved greatly... It's still only, I think, is it about a third? Uh, I think it got to a... I don't know if well, that's actually, kind of um, worth dwelling on too much. We just still don't seem to have... Like, it's, it's great, the number of, um, you know, the, the figures that we've got paints a, a really terrific and healthy picture of the industry as a whole. But it's still, to me, smacks of... We're still not getting all the data. No, and actually, we did catch up uh, yesterday when we received the report. It was embargoed until nine o'clock this morning at, at the time of recording. So that's probably uh, four or five days ago by the time you listen to this. But we did catch up with um, Chris McNamara from the uh, Independent Brewers Association to talk a little bit about it. So we might uh, just quickly interpose that interview and then uh, come back and talk about it afterwards. Well, Chris McNamara, thanks very much for joining us on Radio Brews News. Thanks for having us, James. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> and you're presenting a pretty important document this week on your members and their businesses. Maybe you could just tell us about the background to this report. Yeah, the Independent Brewing Industry National Economic Evaluation. Uh, this is something that's been in the works of, uh, since I think it was October last year. We started to uh, speak to Essential Economics, who are the Melbourne-based uh economics firm that have pulled this together for us. 
From there, we had the uh, survey which went out in November, December, and the report from that has informed much of the uh, the report itself. And this is the first time we think there's a, a robust document that gives us a picture of what the industry is worth on a national basis. And it's quite exciting to actually have something in our hands, especially from an advocacy point of view now, when we speak to politicians and journalists, we can say, hey, this is this is what we're worth. This is our industry. And it's time to celebrate who we are. Maybe you can run us through some of the findings that you thought were most interesting and most persuasive. Um, well, I think just from a numbers point of view, I think everybody sort of has an idea of that. When the survey was run, there was about 380 craft brewing businesses, as we called it at the time, independent brewers, as we would now say. Uh, and there's about 420 in Australia at the moment. I think the, the exciting numbers are around employment. So understanding that this report extrapolates out from the results of that survey. So uh, the report finds there's close to 2,400 full-time equivalent workers directly employed by our industry. And they're paid around $90 million in wages. From a production point of view, the report finds 59 million litres produced by independent brewers in the 15-16 period and $740 million in economic output. And the other big number, which is you know, very important to our conversations, is $74 million paid in excise to the government. Absolutely. Matt? Yeah, Chris, look, firstly, congratulations. You know, lost count of how long we've been quoting figures about the size of the craft beer industry uh, without ever having any formal basis to rely on them. So congratulations. This must have been an amazing amount of work. Were you a little bit disappointed about the response rate to the survey or did it really improve this year? Uh, it stayed about the same as last year. Yeah, I, I would love more people to, to give us their numbers. But speaking to survey matters who did the surveys for us and to Essential Economics, they said that's the reality of these surveys. You generally land in that 30 to 40% response rate. So they said, don't be that disappointed. It still gives you robust numbers, but yeah, I'd certainly love us to be much higher response rate. So that is a particular threshold that they say that, you know, the data is very reliable. Yeah, the information back from them is that this is the standard for what they expect in similar industry surveys, is in that 30 to 40% response rate. And they're also happy. You also have to look within that response rate where it lands from different um, size breweries. So you don't want it skewed in any way. They're very happy with the response rate across the different uh, sectors. Yeah, one of the things I thought was interesting, um, and it might smash a few sort of stereotypes that people make about the craft beer sector, if, if we can still call it that, um, is the fact that 65% of the businesses are in regional and rural areas. Yeah, that's right. And that's, uh, I think, one of the, the highlights for us as well is that, uh, and when we say regional and rural, that's anything outside the capital city. So you know, being Newcastle-based like we are, it, it, inc it includes us, includes the Gold Coast. So it's just outside of those uh, those capital cities. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a great number. And as you said, there is that certainly within certain sections of the media, perhaps, that understanding that independent brewing is all about guys with you know, beards and fixies and whatever. But the reality of it is it, it isn't. You know, we're spread right across the country from what, Port Douglas to Bruny Island now and everywhere in between. So it's definitely not a uh, inner suburban thing. And I don't think it ever has been. You know, look at how long uh, Grand Ridge has been going, how long Holgate, Bridge Road, 
any of those guys, you know, all out in regional and rural areas. Chris, some of the things that uh, really stuck out for me was, for example, there was a focus on excise and the industry is paying a huge amount of excise and that is increasingly becoming a uh, focus. From the IBA's point of view, is it more important to have things like the tax break on a 30 litre keg? So there's no disincentive to venues taking smaller amounts so beer can stay fresher or are you looking at um, completely overhauling the excise system to encourage more players into the market? Essentially what we're looking for, Matt, is a level of equity with what is given to similar industries, you know, most namely the uh, the wine industry. As you know, wet rebates up to 500000 per annum for, for wineries. It's going to come down as at 1 July next year. But as you know, our guys can only claim up to $30,000 in excise rebate each year. So you know, we're looking at a range of things, whether that be increasing the rate of that rebate, indexing it. So... Now, every six months when excise goes up, the effectiveness of that rebate goes down. Sure, some of the brewers do pass on that excise increase, but a lot of the guys are just wearing it and that's affecting their bottom line every six months. Looking at uh, the collection cycle, you know, some of the guys that are on weekly, some are on uh, monthly. For some, it may work better to be able to align it with bass and bringing it down to 30 litres is also another area. Not everybody's going to take advantage of that. Not everybody wants to put in 30 litres, but... You know, we want to be able to give people that option. So it's a suite of possible changes that we want to talk to uh, to the government and to uh, the bureaucrats about how they can give us that sort of assistance. And I guess that's the issue with excise is it's something like, you know, changing the way and the timing which it's paid because at the moment craft brewers are often, in fact, they're almost always paying the excise for beer that they've sent out well before they ever get the return. So they're real cash flow issues. But the issue around parity with the wet tax on cider has a completely different effect on the industry. And you know, is there a concern that if the level of rebate changes, that you may draw you know, an even more rapid intake of new businesses uh, setting up and the impact that that can have on the market? I think there's always that concern. We'd never want to go, get to that point where you hear winemakers talking about the wet rebate being the basis. If they lose that, then their business is gone. It's seems a, a crazy notion to have, have your business based around a rebate on, on a taxation. As you know, excise is different in that it has to be paid up front. So I think it just makes a bit more sense from our point of view as opposed to the wet rebate. Listen, whether it's going to encourage more people to come into the industry, I don't know. All we can work off is the reality that we do have 420 businesses here already that are you know, employing people and a level of parity to what uh, the the wine industry gets. Certainly not. I don't think anybody would be saying $500,000 a year is what we'd be after. But what the report shows is that most people, when they talk about increase in government support, are going to invest that straight back into the business. It's not going to be taken up, creamed off the top. Going to be put back into employing new people, into capital expenditure, those sorts of things, improving quality, just as we all know, is uh, one of our great challenges. Although that's one of the interesting things about the, the law of unintended consequences. I was talking to Pete Brown uh, when I was in England, and he uh, was talking about a very similar excise equivalent 
break that small brewers got in in the UK and you can track the number of new breweries opening and at the point at which the excise break was given on small brewers there was an even faster you could just suddenly see the uh, the hockey stick turn very very sharply to the point that we're now seeing some of the sort of traditional family-owned breweries like Adnams now crying out and uh, I've just got a quote from the fellow from Adnams saying he questioned whether the subsidy was the best way to encourage jobs and warned that there were so many microbreweries now entering the market that he believes that the industry is at risk of a car crash and a car crash that will take out some of the businesses that would otherwise be viable. And I just sort of look at it and sort of think, well, we're not having any difficulty encouraging new entrants into the industry and perhaps that the excise should look more at making sure that businesses are viable rather than making the industry more attractive. Because if there's even greater price competition on beer, then that excise bonus that they get may be whittled down by having to uh, cut prices. Yeah, you know, possibly that could be the case, Matt. Um, I don't know if we have gone that far to, to... I certainly haven't pondered it that far about, you know, that law of unintended consequences. As I said before, I think it's a very different scenario from on the wet rebate where they have created this this concept there that you know, people can essentially claim the uh, wet rebate back without having paid anything in the first place. Um, and then something we've always said with the excise is that we agree with that upfront payment and you know, claiming a rebate back later in that it will mean that uh, businesses can't just take advantage of that rebate as a, as a handout. You know, it needs to be based off the back of sales and production. And I, I think at the moment, this way the industry is sitting is that any support we can get from the government, and you know, I don't think we'd be advocating for huge cash handouts. As I said, there's a whole suite of different ways that the government can help us. Now, we're speaking to you on the 3rd of July. Tomorrow, the 4th of July, has been declared Independence Day. Um, you're officially announcing this report, so everyone will be listening to this a couple of days after you've, uh, you've announced it. What's the plan? Where's the report going? And uh, how, how does this become an advocacy document for independent brewers? As I mentioned earlier, and as you, you alluded to as well, for a long time we have spoken about our industry and sort of said it's, we think it's this and we think it's that and we think we employ this many people. Now we you know, we have a, a reasonable understanding thanks to this document. Uh, so as of tomorrow, Australian Independent Brewers Day, we'll be beginning a, an advocacy campaign. The idea is to get this document into the hands of every uh, Australian federal politician to start with. Um, and that's happening as we speak. We've also shared this with uh, not only our members, but with every brewing business out there, along with another uh, of a range of other um, information, some information how to deal with politicians, how to deal with media, etc. And we're trying to encourage everybody to take this document. The federal parliament is in its winter recess at the moment until the 8th of August. So there's most likely that uh, local members are going to be uh, in their electorate offices and happy to speak to constituents about their business. So we're encouraging everybody to uh, print off the uh, the document, bring up, make a, uh, an appointment to see their local member and go in and tell them the story about their business, how it fits into the national industry. But the most important part is you know, people telling their individual stories. Um, and then hopefully when the politicians go back to, to Canberra, we will then get involved in um, advocating around next year's budget and see what we can do. 
What's the uh, Australian Independent Brewers Association's view about the American Brewers Association's independence logo, and do you think we will see something similar in Australia? Uh, there's certainly been discussions about it, Matt, and we, we were discussing it before the US guys dropped theirs the other day. Look at the, the story behind theirs, so you know, multiple years, um, and that logo, as it stands at the moment, was one year in the making. We won't be rushing into to releasing anything soon. We want to have a look at the reasoning behind the the way that the Americans have done theirs, and also, you know, there's been sort of a fallout from it, positive and, and negative uh, reactions. So we will sort of go to school on what they've done and talk to the industry here about whether they want it and whether they'll use it. Chris, the one other thing, you know, I'm not a statistician like you said, but just uh, looking at the number of employees that's been reported in the uh, report and the wages that have been paid, um, I just did a very quick uh, number, and it looks like there's fairly low salaries, particularly in the in the, in the micro and smaller end. I think the average wage is in the micro sphere is about thirty nine thousand, which is roughly half the average national wage. Again, I guess, um, how robust is that figure? And do we need to look at you know, some of those conditions in the brewing industry? Yeah, getting good feedback and good data on what people are getting paid, something I've wanted for quite a while because I quite often get phone calls saying, hey, what should we be paying our brewer? What should we be paying this person? Not every bit of number in here is absolutely perfect at the moment. And something like that may be one of those outliers where we go, Okay, we can try and do a bit more work around that. Some of those numbers at the smaller end may be that owner-operators are counting themselves or employees as employees but aren't actually paying themselves a wage. I know that's quite prevalent out there as well, whether that would bring down the, uh, the average that's being paid. I dream about being like the Brewers Association and having an uh, economics PhD on staff to uh, crunch these numbers for me as they come in. And you know, we are we're actually... Are, talking to a number of different universities who are doing some research at the moment in different areas. I'm trying to coordinate them in a way that, you know, I can perhaps get a PhD student to uh, to work for beer and to uh, help us out where possible. But uh, you know, it's an ongoing process. First year we've done this, I hope that we'll improve it as we do it every year. Terrific. Oh, well, Chris, congratulations. I, I just can only imagine how much work there was in coordinating this and uh, actually getting the very first fairly robust you know, national economic indicator for the value of craft beer. So uh, well done and uh, congratulations to the IBA. Thank you very much, Matt. I appreciate it. So that was James Atkinson and I catching up with Chris yesterday. But yeah, so he did talk a little bit about that. You know, it's as he said, it's a work in progress. Hopefully now that brewers can see the benefit of they're responding, it will flush a few more people out, Prof. Yeah, and also I think, yeah, it might just perhaps put a line through some of those issues that were perhaps hanging around the edges before in terms of, I don't want my figures made public. Well, nobody knows whose figures are who. It's just, it's us. It's not a you and a you and a you and a you and a you kind of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. No, yeah, you're not being sort of separated from the herd um, in an identifiable way. Exactly. But a couple of things that really um, stuck out a little bit for me, and I think it's a first year, so the data will probably get better and better as we go on, but we actually have a figure that we can talk about the number of independent breweries in the country, you know, sort of looking at maybe recognised contract breweries, nano, micro, and um, regional, national, um, 379 breweries. 
So, yeah, I mean, figures as high as 470, 480 have been bandied about, I think. But uh, 379? 379. Now, that was as as at 30th June 2016, so a year ago. Does that sound right? Yes, that sounds right, yes. Yeah. So when, when, they, when these figures were actually sort of compiled and cut off, which is terrific because we're talking about um, even if we say, you know, okay, there's 400 now and the number might be as high as 420, but that's the highest number of breweries that we've had in Australia, ever. Absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, you know, look, re- really, really exciting. I, I guess the, the one thing that I raised with Chris in that interview was there's a lot of talk about excise and how much it's holding back the industry. You know, my big fear, if excise suddenly gets dropped, we're not having difficulty encouraging people into the industry, if you know what I mean. You know, there seems to be no shortage of people opening breweries. I don't think we actually actively need to be encouraging more people in and you know, just like cutting excise or giving you know half a million or whatever the um, excise rebate is to equal the wet tax could suddenly see the industry flooded with more people, which can actually take a lot of the marginally viable to you know viable yep. players out if the market yep. doesn't grow. And, and I think that any um, excise work needs to be around making the players viable and and that's you know how the frequency that they need to pay and fixing some of those cash flow things rather than just uh you know giving an incentive because we saw in the wine industry that the wet tax brought a lot of players in um, when it was surrounded by hype and enthusiasm and the the romance of having a winery and then you see a lot of people um go out and uh that the crash takes a lot of people that you know probably would otherwise have made it but for that rapid uh increase in numbers yeah, and I think back to the sage words of, of Brendan Varus. At pretty sure it was at the Crime Alt Trade Hub two years ago now, um, during Good Beer Week, when he said, be careful what you wish for. Um, and Jaron Mitchell from Four Pines has, I guess, reiterated, well, you can't, no, you can't reiterate what somebody else has said, sorry, so grammatically incorrect, uh, but he has echoed those sentiments. And I, I would draw people towards the um, the article written by Kerry McBride in um, Crafty Pint this morning, which I think is should be compulsory viewing, reading for, uh, for anyone who thinks that excise is the silver bullet that's going to save us all from the evils of the Godzilla that is wine and whatever else in this country. Have you read it, Matt? I haven't had a chance to read uh, Kerry's, but I will read it. But just from your pricey of it, it sounds like pretty much uh, what I'd be arguing as well. You know, I think there are a whole lot more important issues in the industry than getting, not a handout, but getting that sort of cash. I think a lot of brewers think that the money that they get from the excise will stay in their pockets. If it brings a lot of new players in, we already have a highly competitive craft beer market, something that we will come to in uh, one of our next stories. Yep, yep. But... If you encourage too many more people into it thinking that suddenly they're going to be profitable, they're going to have to compete on price and you might find your margins getting cut even further. Um, and so you, that, that money that you're getting on one hand is going to be lost on another hand. Yep. I think it's one of the stupidest things I've seen, says Jaron. There's no industry on the planet that has benefited from artificial relief from a government. Essentially, it creates a vacuum for inefficient people who are wasting resources to get a $350,000 rebate. If you can't run a brewing business based on fundamental economics, you shouldn't be running a brewing process, unquote. Oh, amen. Exactly. Yes. So so that's a very interesting uh, thing from a major industry player to to say. And and I guess a lot of people will point at Jaron and say, well, of course, you can say that when your brewery is as big as yours. But the point is, I I think the points that he make are are just, it's not coming from a certain point of view. I just think that that's a reasonable point to make anyway. And it's certainly what a lot of the brewers, the mid-tier brewers in, in the UK are saying, where they had a 
as I said to Chris, a sudden increase when they had some excise relief and uh, it can hurt a lot of uh, businesses just from what is unrealistic competition. Yeah, yeah. And when Australians are paying, I think it's, I don't have the figures in front of me, but 54 cents per standard drink for beer, whereas it's sort of 38 in the UK and it goes down to as low as I think 24 or 26 cents in New Zealand. We're happy to pay money for our beer and pay more for independent beer. So there's there's not an issue there. Yeah, I, I think we just need to knock that on the head now that taking excise away isn't going to you know solve all the problems. And as I said, if we were looking to encourage people to enter the industry, then it might be something that we would look at but there doesn't seem to be any difficulty in getting businesses, you know, getting people to open breweries. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's, it's, tr- it's trying to make the ones that are here um, and the ones that enter in the future sustainable and viable. So anyway, man, I think we've, uh, yeah. But if I can just qu- really quickly throw in, because another point that Jaron made was, um, you know, having seven days from the time your the keg leaves your brewery, that you've got to pay that excise. But it might be, you know, 58, 60, 90 days. And Chris brought this up this morning on, on radio that I was listening to. That can be more of the killer. So maybe with excise, uh, New Zealanders get to pay their, New Zealand brewers get to pay their excise quarterly. So maybe that's something that we Cash need. flow. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then cash flow is critical to business. And they're the cash sort of things king. that, yeah, that assist businesses without distorting the market. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I did allude to a story looking at uh, competition in, in, in the beer industry. And, uh, Prof, I'm still on London time, so I'm getting up very early. But uh, when I was just going through the Facebook feed at 3.30 this morning, suddenly up popped a interesting story from the Great Northern Hotel, one of the great Melbourne craft beer pubs, made a public announcement saying that Holgate beers will no longer be poured at Great Northern. After supporting the brewery for seven years, we've been told we cannot pour ESB on the hand pump unless we put additional Holgate taps. We are proudly independent with no tap contracts. Even CUB in line respects this. Unfortunately, it seems now Holgate, with their new shiny brewery, government grants and new big ego, they have forgotten uh, bars that supported them uh, when they were a small brewer. Um, now, taking the sort of personality aside, um, what are your thoughts, Prof? It's an interesting one, um, and I think it's one of those things that, you know, nothing good happens after 2am. I think we should add to that motto to live by, don't ever post anything on Facebook after 3am. Look, there'll be two sides to the story. And I can see, to put it in perspective, um, just the bare bones of it as I know it, is that there might be half a dozen hand pumps around pubs in Melbourne that, that are serving, you know, casked beer. So I would imagine that they're not, they're not a big money spinner for a brewery to, there's no incentive necessarily to, to produce cask because there aren't that many taps to, unless you have your own, there aren't that many taps around to, to sort of sell to. The Great Northern is one of those that has one that I know of. And yeah, whether or not it's, you know, is a, is, a, is a contract a contract by any other name? And would it smell as dodgy? Is that, a, is that good business practice to say, you know, we've got a new brewery to pay for? And I don't know whether that's part of the case. Uh, so we're, we're kind of changing our, our sales direction. Um, or has somebody got the wrong end of the stick at the other end? I don't know. Certainly the one thing I wouldn't do is, re- is read all the comments on Facebook because you, you will not be enlightened. Because it's another one of those, well, let's, let's talk about etiquette, people. And if you can't say anything nice, shut the fuck up. No, well, no. That's it. <laughs> you know, if you're not talking from a position of, you know, understanding, you know, or if you haven't even read the article, um, which often happens on, on Facebook, you know, you read the headline and take a view 
um, and charge off on your, on your horse. But anyway, yeah, I mean, prof, that's the thing. And, and I've copped a bit of a stick from certain quarters with my arguably more relaxed stance about contracts um, over the last few years. You know, it wasn't that long ago that I was a anti-contract warrior, but it was about eight or nine years ago when... Uh, Murray's Craft Brewery, um, which was you know, had a very, very successful, highly sought after seasonal range. The Icon? icon? Yeah, no, they, well, they had a couple of seasonals that were very highly sought after. And they started saying, well, we're only going to sell you kegs um, of that if you have you know, permanent taps of some of our other beers. And on the one hand, can perfectly understand that. You know, if you've only got 40 kegs um, of a beer, you, you need to work out where it goes. And yeah, yeah, logic says that you, or your heart says you want to you sell those, those kegs to those who have looked after you. 24-7. Yep. yep. Rather than the ones who just want to have the seasonal. Yep. And that just makes sense. I mean, that is just business. But at the same time, that's also called a business arrangement. And it may not be a contract, but it's still, you know, a, a tie in, in, in some way to, the, well, you, you have to take these other beers in order to, to get these beers. It's an incentive. Um, and it was when I started thinking, well, okay, you know, and, and when people talk about tap contracts, it is very rarely a case of a brewer just coming in and giving cash. It's often installing the, the taps through which the beer is poured, or there's a whole lot of other things that go on. And I, I can see both sides of this. You know, Holgate has invested heavily in a new brewery. They need to pay. They've got staff. They need to be able to forecast. And if you want their specialty beers, you know, we're giving you some added value beyond just our regular beers. We want some, some value from that. I can also see Great Northern. That's not something that we want to play. I, I thought it was a little bit unnecessary to, to go off on such a rant about it. So there may be more to the story that we're not aware of yet, but that's the nature of business. Great Northern doesn't want to take those terms. They were quite happy to remove the beer. You know, I, hopefully it doesn't damage Holgate too much. And I'm sure there are a whole lot of other people that would have said, you know, that would have said, yeah, we want to keep the hand pump on. We'll take another one of your beers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But this is just what we're seeing. We're seeing the growing pains of, of an industry where people are trying to work out how to make the huge investment they've made in stainless steel and business and salaries and all of that sort of thing, how they're trying to make it work. And sometimes they're going to make mistakes and we'll see whether this was a mistake or not. Yeah. Hopefully the days of, you know, unicorns, rainbows and lollipops for craft beer are not coming to an end. Well, not 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 completely. Um, or, no. <laughs> although another... Uh, there's still, there's still room for a rousing chorus of Kumbaya. <laughs> yeah. Every now and then. Um, now, a- another story, and it's, it's sort of along the same lines about you know, how the industry's changing and evolving. Last night in my Facebook feed, there was a photo of uh, somebody holding up a four-pack of Akasha IPA with a big sticker stuck on it, not for sale individually. And it, actually, it came to my attention because... Uh, Les Riddell from what I regard as one of Brisbane's, if not best, bottle shops, tagged me, uh, you know, because he... Right, anyway, sorry, I'll, I'll take a step back. The uh, Apparently, Platinum Liquor in Sydney has started putting stickers, refusing people the right to buy individual cans of beer. You have to buy the whole four-pack. Um, Prof, what's your thoughts about that? Uh, yeah, well, obviously, I guess any business is able to sell their wares in whichever quantities and configurations that they want i'm guessing not being a business owner myself that the brewery can would send all of that in in cases and you can sell it as a case you could sell it as a four pack you could sell it as an each would be my guess Mm -hmm. does that sound about right yep yep tell yeah so mm, mm. i i i I, i'm struggling to think why a business would say i only want you can only buy these in in fours is it just because 
you know, people leave the little plastic foretop, the holders lying around, and so it's creating a litter issue. Um, is that somebody then comes along and goes, oh, I don't want to buy a three-pack. I don't know. Yeah, but, I mean, that's the thing with these, you know, clip-down things for, for cans, the, the clip-down four-pack holders. Just take the other three out and sell them as singles. There's always a market for singles. Of course, if you're selling four at a time, it is much better for, for the business and it's much better for your turnover and all of those sorts of things. But, I mean, I, I don't know the Sydney personalities terribly well, um, but I'm pretty sure that Platinum Liquor in Sydney was one of the companies that years ago used to pride itself on having, you know, all of these beers that weren't legitimately available and were only available through grey market um, and almost catered to that um, magpie shopper who wanted stuff that they couldn't get anywhere else. And it just sort of seems to me that suddenly they're finding that this culture has spread and everyone wants to just sort of try something. They only want to try it once. They don't necessarily want to come back and buy it again. And now they're uh, it's hurting their business and they want to just limit how people buy it. And if my recollection of Platinum is correct, then, you know, that's come back to bite them. Yeah. Uh, is it the collector mentality? Is that what you're, you're kind of alluding to? Or like... Or is it, um, from the from the consumer's point of view, are they coming in as collectors or is it that we're being promiscuous and going, I want to try this and then I want to try that and then, you know, we don't drink the same thing all the time? Yeah, well, that's pretty much how, you know, I, I, I'm not a ticker. I don't register like all of my beers on untapped or anything like that. But I do like to just, you know, take the temperature for the entire beer market by drinking and sampling a whole lot of beers and just see what's going on out there. And I only buy singles. And that's the way I'm sure a lot of people drink. And then I've got a, a range of beers that are in my permanent, you know, always go-to range. And they're the ones I buy as six-packs. Now, if you're a business and you're trying to encourage people to buy more of something or trying to force them into only buying a four-pack, I'm just not going to shop there. Yeah. And look, I think that's the whole thing, isn't it? Platinum Liquor is a brand in the same way that Stone and Wood or Feral is a brand or Four Pines is a brand. And people kind of get a, you know, the warm, fuzzy feeling, I want to support this or I want, I want to support that. Um, everything you do as a business goes towards either creating, defining or strengthening your brand. Um, and people will make decisions, yeah, based on that. Yeah, Prof, look, I think that actually ties into the next story I wanted to talk about, which is the American beers and stone brouhaha that's still continuing that we've talked about for the last couple of podcasts. The date stamping of beers and how quickly they're turning over and how fresh they are and, you know, the difference for beers that are stamped for three months in the US and to get them on retailer shelves in Australia, they, you know, were given a 12-month use-by date. And I think the industry that started, you know, there's a lot of passion and a whole lot of people talking about how great it is and how wonderful it is. And yes, we'll buy your beers and we'll buy them and it'll turn over. It'll be fantastic. The practical realities of the market and selling beer and turning beer over is coming to bite a lot of retailers and a lot of brewers. And we're trying to have to fit this passion for craft beer and these beers that are brewed in a way that date limits them, you know, but freshness really, really matters. And yet the logistics and retailing chain hasn't moved as quickly as our taste buds have. And so I, I think that four-pack thing, not for individual sale, is about keeping beer turning over and not catering to, to the bird, to, to the um, pickers. But then we're also seeing this whole thing about uh, stone beer. And James Atkinson posted an article uh, a couple of days ago, Drinkers Get Fresh with US Brewers. And it was following up uh, the story that we touched on last week from our podcast of two weeks ago, uh, in which Adrian from Firestone Walker said that they had negotiated to be ranged in Dan Murphy's. Now, apparently there was no such thing. And uh, so James wrote an article um, talking about that and talking about freshness and all of those sorts of things. Ideally, brewers want their beer stored cold. 
and that's just not happening. We don't have a system. John Latter from Experience It Beverages um, weighed in with a very, very long post. It was something that I would have been proud of, actually, Prof. But essentially, it was responding to stuff that he'd been accused of on Facebook as well. Um, he seemed to take it very, very personally, but was saying that the article was unbalanced and unfair and incorrect. And I, I'll direct everyone to, to go read it because it's a, it's a very, very long thing. But Prof, what it comes back to for me is back in 2010, um, I interviewed Greg Cook, you know, well before it was legitimately available here, when Greg Cook was saying, do not buy my beer in Australia. And I put to him in that interview, and it's well worth going back to have a listen to because you can hear the absolute passion and uncompromising nature in Greg Cook's voice when he talks about it. And I asked him a question that essentially went, if there's demand for it and you don't want people buying parallel imported beer, why don't you send it down here refrigerated and in good condition so they can try it fresh? And he sort of got a little bit exasperated and said, and this is long, so uh, sorry about this, but they won't. I understand that desire and that call, but dare I say, it's a bit naive. Here's the situation. Australia is very far away. We know that. Australia is across the equator, so we'd have to temperature control our beer. And by the way, we are our own wholesaler in Southern California, and we have a 100% refrigerated fleet. So that's the standard. And so when we send our beer one state away, three states away, or across the country here in the US, it's all refrigerated. We do not warm ship. It's 100% refrigerated. So we would have to refrigerate our beer, sending it down to Australia. It's a long way, so it's going to be expensive as hell. It's going to go into the Australian distribution system, which, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think the refrigeration in the distribution system is very common. So already the standards we have set for ourselves in a close range to our home haven't even been put into effect in Australia. And then, while I appreciate that there are some beer fans in Australia who are aware of Stone, I can bet that 99.9% of Australians haven't even heard of Stone or figured out that they care. So when it does eventually get to a retailer, what's the demand going to be? Frankly, the demand is going to be pretty low, and coupled with how expensive it is, even the people who really want it, at best it's going to be a special occasion beer for them because it's going to be so expensive, which means we have an untenable situation. We don't have a flow that ensures people get a regular, fresh shipment that are being treated properly along every step of the way and also arrives at a reasonable price. And buying a less expensive but ruined beer is not a reasonable price because you have not got value for your money. You're getting something that I've just said, and I will repeat again, I would pour down the drain instead of drinking. Mate, I don't think there's much wriggle room in that statement. How long ago was that, though, Matt? Was that the, the six years ago one? That was 2010. Yeah. Oh, okay, even Yeah, yeah, 2010. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's, what's changed since then? Nothing. The Australian beer market, obviously, is much more aware of, of stone now, and the, the band has certainly increased. I, I'd, yeah, I just still probably wouldn't put it above 90%, and I'd even hazard to say that 95% of the beer market probably don't know about it. So it's still a relatively small thing. But again, you know, everything he outlined in his reasons for not sending beer down is still exactly the same. And arguably, the big box retailers, you know, have, have the worst distribution channels because the length of the distribution channels and to get their beer into those channels they've agreed to put a 12-month date code on it that he absolutely said that they wouldn't do seven years ago nothing has changed and that's just the market we live in anyway i, I don't know that there's much more you can add to that comment well, well how about this matt as for crafty pint and people like ourselves whose job i guess it is to educate our listeners and our readers and i think we're doing a pretty good job of that but we've still got a, a long way to go putting a, a brood on date is that going to solve most of the problems, because then if you know, okay, it's a hoppy beer and it was brewed, you know, three months ago, it's probably still nicely drinkable, probably not going to present as, as it would from the brewery, but then again, any any packaged product won't. Um, I can then make the call. If I say, well, it's, you know, it's best before 
you know, three months down the track from now, or was it brewed yesterday or was it brewed 12 months ago? You don't know. So does that solve the problems? Well, it solves the problem in terms of people knowing what the beer is. But I think it's one of those issues that as much as everyone talks about it, I think there are a lot of brewers that don't want people knowing how long ago the beer was brewed because their businesses are based on selling it into a long distribution chain and they just know that in six, seven, eight months, it's still going to be sitting on the shelves and people are going to see that date and not buy it. So yes, I think it's what the industry should be doing and it will tidy up a lot of things and it will force change in the industry um, going down the track. But I don't think that there are going to be many brewers that want to get on board with that in exactly the same way that there were a lot of brewers that had small physical breweries but are brewing a lot of their beer off-site. You know, were resistant to putting that fact on their labels because they knew that it would ultimately, it gives them a business advantage, but it hurts their business. Yeah, at the end of the day, Matt, you know what? What's drink that? fresh, drink local. Drink fresh, drink local. I'm with you, Prof. But how do we know that it's fresh? Well, you drink it and see. <laughs> well, <laughs> and if it's not, then, don't, then you know, let, let the retailer know and, um, you know, change your habits accordingly. Good advice. But don't go pissing and whining on Facebook again, I yep. say. Yep. Yeah. Speak to the organ grinder, not the monkey. <laughs> A lot of monkeys out there, Prof. Um, that said, that wasn't a, like a go at someone like Dan Murphy's or you know the, the big box, um, James, because we don't have a distribution. We, you know, th- there are a lot of places in the country where you couldn't get any beer at all if they weren't sending the beer out there, and that the beer's not off. The beer's the beer's just not at its best quality. But anyway, that's uh, I mean that, that's true of just about any um, national thing. Find a great local retailer if you really care about the freshness of your beer. Last thing, I did say it was a big news episode, Prof, but the uh, the last one, and it goes back to the story we led with about Independence Day in Australia, the Independent Brewers Association. The Brewers Association in the US launched their logo, and we talked a little bit about it last week, talked about it being upside down and uh, what that said. Now, the high-end uh, high end beverage company or the high-end, is it just high-end? Yep, high-end, yeah, which is... Um, ABI. What would you say? Is it, is, it, is it a label for AB InBev to hide behind and look crafty? High End is their business division that uh, has their 10 US craft brewers, but they seem to come out in lockstep and say that, you know, essentially criticise the Brewers Association for putting it on. Did you catch any of the um, comments about it, Prof? Yes. So there were comments from um, from Wicked Weed, uh, Stephen Beaumont, I think, and we copied and pasted that, or shared, sorry, through our Brews News channels and it certainly got lots of interest generated yeah no there's there a lot of discussion about it it was interesting because um you, you know you had all of the uh, business divisions come out and say that it was you know look the, the, actually they, they seem to have a very concerted campaign one is saying that all brewers should unite against a common enemy which is wine and spirits and other beverages and secondly that they should let the consumer make their own mind up now, your point of view depends on which way you're facing, and ABI are, of course, you know, ABI certainly don't want to look at independence as a strength because it's in their interests. But I, I, I think that for them to come out and argue that the problem is that the BA continues to refuse to let the consumer make up their own mind and tries to make it up for them is a complete furphy because having this label on is, is, in my view, exactly what the industry needs. The big brewers tend to say consumers don't care who makes the beer so long as it's good. Putting a logo on that says it's not the big brewers will certainly uh, decide whether they're, they're right about that or not. Yeah, 100%. I, for one, don't care if Stone and Wood make 100 million litres of beer a year uh, and somebody else makes 1,000 litres of beer a year. What I care about is the fact that they have the independence to make whatever beer they want, which is hopefully a reflection of the beer that I want to drink. Uh, And I'm not particularly fond of going into a venue and being told what to drink by one brewery. So for me, 
um, yeah, independence is the key. And you can, AB InBev can cut it any way they like, but at the end of the day, they're the big fat kid in the sandpit and they've kind of got all the toys in one corner and they'll decide, you know, who gets to play. Yeah, mate, I agree. And it's sort of like, it's sort of criticism of ABI in a sense, but when we were left with monopolies um, or, you know, just a couple of big breweries, business decisions pressured them into, they would rather sell one beer to everybody as opposed to a hundred beers to, you know, 1% 1% of the population each, just because that's the way you maximise your profit. The fewer breweries that you've got, the less diverse and interesting the market's going to be. And I think a vibrant small brewing industry is key to continuing to enjoy the diverse and interesting beer market that we've got. And that's it. There are a whole lot of people that don't care about that. And there is always going to be a market for ABI and the Kirins and all of those guys of the world. And that's fantastic. Yeah. I think, but yeah, there are enough people these days who actually do care about it. And I think the easier that it is for people to learn who makes the beer so people who do care about it can find out and people who um, don't necessarily want to research it but care about it can find out the the, the better. And I I think when you speak to people even in ABI, ultimately, they recognise that small brewers are very important to the vibrancy of the industry. The rest of it is just competition and they're doing their best to compete and small brewers need to uh, use their best advantages to compete. And uh, I think independence is one of those things. Yeah, 100%. And look, I'll, I'll echo the sentiments of Mazen Hajar. You know, if your beer is good enough, then it'll find a tap, but give everyone the same opportunity. Uh, and that way, you know, the punters will, will speak with their pellets. Here, here. Well, Prof, that's a very long uh, this week in the news. Uh, between that and the in, in chat with Chris Mitch, uh, Chris uh, McNamara, sorry, Chris. And now in our other episode, beer is a conversation. I'm catching up with Jasper Cuppage, and I caught up with Jasper when I was in London. Speaking of ABI, Camden Town Brewery, which is making fantastic beers. Jasper is a wonderful guy. Recently sold uh, the business to ABI. Doesn't seem to have affected the beer quality. Doesn't seem to have affected the distribution. But it's uh, you know good case in point. So anyway, you can hear what Jasper says and what Jasper says about being owned by ABI and growing a brewery in Beer is a Conversation. Apart from that, you can let us know what you think about what we've said today and what you think about the show and help other people find us by leaving a review on iTunes or even leaving some comments on our Facebook post or in the comment section of the website. Apart from that, Prof, look forward to catching up with you again next week and seeing what transpires over the next seven days. It's been a big week in beer and no doubt we'll have more to speak about again next week. Yeah. Good to catch up. Terrific. Good to catch up. Talk to you next week. Shall do. See you, listeners. Thanks for hanging on. And I'm going to go out on a limb and throw this in for the Easter egg at the end of the show. That Jasper Cuppage is the Jeff Horn of the brewing industry. What do you think of that? Local Brisbane boy, virtually unknown, but, you know, all of a sudden gets big. Although technically Jeff Horn knocked out Manny Pacquiao and I don't think Jasper's ever punched the suitcase out of anyone in order to to win fame and fortune. And he looked a lot better. In fact, you could you could argue that he got knocked out by AB InBev. No, I wouldn't argue that at all. But still got, you know, he didn't get a shit sandwich for second, did he? Let's face it. Well, I was going to say, uh, Jeff Horn got a big payout. 85 million. Hopefully Jasper did. But yeah, he didn't get 85 million, did he? Jasper looked much better at the end of it as well. <laughs> he had a much, well, yeah, they both had a pretty big smile on their face. But, you know, local Brisbane boys made good. Well done to you. Even if, you know, Chris McNamara this morning announced that uh, Victoria's the... Crappy capital of Australia. 
Ooh, how does Sydney feel about that? Sorry, you're just breaking up there, Matt. Sydney, the more of uh, feeding it. Feeding, if it didn't have a toilet, you wouldn't stop on your way from Melbourne to Brisbane in Sydney. <laughs> Are we out? And we're out. And possibly off. <laughs>